Welcome back in listeners to another fantastic episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have a very special episode in store for you today. We have joining us today the playwright Lester Cook, whose new work, Urkel and Megara, A Couple's Journey, is having a reading at Playwrights Horizons downtown on May 11th at 6 p.m. And this is a really fantastic play, and I can't wait to share it with you. I'm really glad Lester's here to tell us more about it and share its origins. So why don't I go ahead and bring him on? Lester, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you for having me. We've been chatting so far, and and, and everything. It sounds amazing how all of this came together. So let's start right at the beginning real quick. Tell us a bit about this incredible show, Urkel and Megara, A Couple's Journey. Urkel and Megara is the story of how I transitioned from female to male and the emotional transition that my wife goes through as she begins to be read as a straight woman again. In addition to her child coming back into our lives, my relationship with him to a degree. A lot of it is about life on life's terms and what this couple goes through to get ready to do this surgery, to get what is it like? What is the real process? And the things that women really do go through. Because you got to remember, they were lesbians in essence before. Yeah, you walk down the street, you with your butch lesbian, blah, blah, blah. blah. Now, (laughs) Debbie and I walk down the street, I'm a dude. It's amazing what happens, just the appearance of some facial hair and other things. (laughs) So that's that's kind of sort of where it's at. Like I said, it started out, I had to take playwriting at CCNY. Dr. Kathleen Potts is the playwriting professor. You have to take it with her. I took it. I asked, I wrote the very first scene I wrote was about the fight that Debbie and I had when I first asked her to marry me. We had a big, huge knockdown drag out. I mean, every word of that of that fight is in the play you know we ended up making i ended up making sure that everybody got what they needed out of that and it's been four years in the making so it there's never been a time when i didn't for me it's about the work so some playwrights get hung up to the point that every word they've written they think is should be the gospel according to whomever so the gospel according to let's do ed cook and you can't move a word of it and we can't do each word of it. Oh my God, your ego, we're going to offend it. Get the fuck over it. Grow up. Give me a break. Stop. You, nothing you've written is gospel. Okay? Nothing you've ever written can't be improved upon. God knows when you're going for bachelor's and a master's, you learn that real quick. Because especially if you're like me and have been a policy wonk your whole life, the whole time, then... Everything you write is subject to critique. So if you really want to be a good playwright, you have to know personally when it's a bridge too far, when you can't give this. But you also have to know that it's about the work and not about you personally. And most playwrights can't get out of their own damn way. So what? how did you come up with the idea to do this particular play, to tell this particular story? Like I said, it was a it was a college project. And when I look at the landscape of theater, there was nothing out there 
for men of trans experience. There was nothing out there about bottom surgery. There's nothing out there about what our partners go through. Even in services, you got all kinds of services out there for people of trans experience. You have nothing out there for partners. And so in my opinion, my humble opinion, the reason relationships keep breaking up like they do is that there's no place for partners to go and get the support they need. Transitioning is stressful on a partner. You know what it's like to have... um, In the play is, um, what do you mean you can't find him? That's what Debbie asked the nurse when I had my histo. Because when I had my hysterectomy, Debbie was waiting um, in Beth Israel by herself. And she went to go look for me and ask them where I was. And it was, we can't, you can't find him. Meaning you couldn't find me. So yeah, you know, partners have a hard way to go and they are transitioning with us. There's an expression that depending upon where you met me on my journey is how you will view me and or see me. Hmm. Before transition, you're going to have a completely different take on who I am compared if you meet me while I'm in transition or how far along I am in transition. I love that. That's I, I've never heard that before. And I'm going to take that with me now because that's I love that. That's a really fascinating, a really just a really great, I guess, phrase. Great, great way to put things. As partners who trend that they transition with us. Because as we begin to get read differently, so do they. I mean, for me, those are the the real things I want to explore, the real questions I have. The, the those are the things I want to write about if I'm gonna write. So what has it been like developing this work and then hearing people reading your words? Scary. (laughs) (laughs) Scary. The only one who has ever read Urkeley's part has been me, for example. I have a a young gentleman I know from college and Jay asked, asked him for a callback. And I heard him say my monologue. And this was the first time I heard someone else besides me say my words. And it was really mind-blowing. It really, really was. I mean, I've had other people say Megara's words. I've heard other people say it and stuff like that. But to hear people actually say your words is one an honor, honestly. Uh, if I really, if I, if I get beyond the bravado, um, it's humble and it's gives you a real sense of humility and it gives you this real i've always felt that language is important and as many years as i spent as an advocate at different policy tables i learned the importance and so to to me personally the fact that people want to say my words is a very humbling not humiliating it's, that's not the word for which I'm certain, but it, it makes me take a step back and, and say, wow, I really am fortunate. I and, and to have a guy like Jay Michaels, who's to me, it appears from everything I see and know about the man, to have a legend like that choose to take a risk on a neophyte playwright who's his former student 
can't say I haven't because I have. There are times I have cried tears of happiness because he believed that. So it's not the same. It, it's definitely um, knowing how demanding I am and how tough I am and, and my belief in excellence. To have Jay say, I'll take you on despite all your flaws, all your failings. Um, yeah. Moment of pause. Yeah. Definitely gives you a moment for pause. Yeah. Is there a message or a thought that you're hoping audiences will take away from this powerful work? My biggest hope that this work does is that it goes and people leave the theater that night who've heard it and they want to talk about it. That somebody in my audience someday is a dog walker and they've got a bunch of dogs in the park with other dog walkers and they say, I have heard this great play and here's what I gleaned. I want a waiter in a diner, Murray Murray's Diner over there, Murray Hill Diner up on 3rd Avenue and 33rd Street. Okay. Yeah. I will, or like, I think it's Lex if I remember. Lex. And, and I want somebody to walk into the diner who's an NYU med student say they saw it and here's what they got out of it. I want a college professor to come to it and say, you know, I never thought about it that way before. The idea is it, the, I, the problem that I, I feel with theater is that it, the conversation stops the moment people leave the theater. That's not what I'm looking to do. Yes. Yes. I want that conversation to carry outside the theater. The only way to do that is write something powerful enough that give people a moment for pause. And that is what I wrote. That's why I'm eternally grateful that Jay is directing it because when I was in school and I was, he was my professor. He always gave us a moment to pause, to think. You started answering my question kind of with who you wanted to have these conversations, but is there anyone in particular you want to have access to your work? I don't care who has access to it because you want to know the truth. Everybody's going to either love it or hate it or be in between about it. So once it leaves my hands, my work is over. They're going to critique me no matter what I write, no matter what I do. Someone's going to critique it because somebody ain't going to like it. So I better have a strong enough hide to take my being able to, I think, the, the strength I bring to the table as a playwright is my ability to detach and say, okay, this is the work. You guys tell me what you think. Let me adjust it to reach a bigger audience. Because I do want partners to go and see this. I want folks of trans experience to go see this. And you know what? It would barely be cool for me. I won't write the play, but I really wish somebody would write it for the women of trans experience what their male partners go through as they begin to transition. Well, that's a good segue into our second part and I want to give our listeners a chance to get to know you a little bit better personally and start by asking you, what inspires you? What playwrights, composers, shows inspire you or are some of your favorites? I am a classic 
golden age Broadway and Hollywood fan. So, what inspires me? The Godfather, for example. Huge Godfather fan. I had my son recently watch Dr. Zhivago with me and Gone with the Wind all at the same time. And people complain about Gone with the Wind, but you need to put it, again, historically put it in its context. Let's see. Maine, okay? Man of La Mancha. The Fiddler on the Roof. Those are the things that inspire me. That kind of huge, beautiful, big, when, you know, when production was really production. West Side Story, and think about the opening scene of West Side Story. Okay. Yes. The, the, the big ball dance, the big gym dance at West Side Story. Those are the kinds of numbers and things that attract me. Those are the reason I go, listen, I am a guy. And I get a rock hard hard on just like every other man does when we go see a bang them up, shoot them up. All right. I don't care. I'm not a really DC Marvel, but if you give me a good diehard movie, you bet your life diehard is a Christmas movie. All right. So yeah, I don't want to hear it. You bet your life. Yippee Kaye. <laughs> yeah. I'm right there with you. All right. As a man, I'm right, I'm right there with you. Okay. Right there. All right. At the same time, I recognize. So, for example, some of the class you would call them cult classics. Endless Love is a cult classic, but Endless Love had beautiful acting in it. Personal best. The acting was really good. That's where Jodie Foster gets a break. I'm a huge. I love Silence of the Lambs. All right. So if you want to talk about I'm all over the map. But again, like I said, what, what are you going? What are you going to do? I, I'm, I'm a huge Anthony. My reason for loving Hannibal Lecter like I do has everything to do, if you really think about it, he's what we call, and Joseph Campbell would call it, he's an anti-hero. I use a lot of Joseph Campbell when I write. I use a lot of that because everything you ever write or every book you ever read is the story of a hero who gets confronted by something that they have to overcome. That's a good lead into my next question, which is what's your favorite part about working in the theater? I'll tell you a secret. When I was in undergrad, I had originally been cast as Ezekiel Cheever. Dennis Hilton Reed took me, cast me as Ezekiel Cheever. And a guy by the name of Frankie Provenzano, he and I would make sure, because we had to go back at home at the same time every night, him going all the way to Howard Beach and me having to go all the way to Canarsie. And he and I would jump on the train together at night. We would begin to run lines. And I remember having problem with the line, would you please to come with me? Frankie got me to sing it, and then I had it. Now that's why I could say it. But I learned a lot about myself and what kind of characters I can play. And one of the reasons why I love theater, it's different every night. All right, live theater is different every night. And I learned that with a guy by the name of none other than Chan Harris. Chan Harris was the guy who, when he cast me, he cast me as the mysterious man and the narrator in Into the Woods. That's who I was. And it took me a hot minute to, to figure out I was the villain in the, in the play. But once I did, it took me on a mental journey that was really tough for me. Yeah, that, that kind of stuff affected me on a real emotional level. I mean, by the time I usually by the time, usually by the time I'm done with the theater run, I'm the guy, I have a playlist on my iPhone on that playlist i have 
She Believes in Me by Kenny Rogers. And toward the end of a run, I will play that a lot because of what he sings. Because it's about a guy who goes out there every night and he's playing in the clubs and the nightclubs and this and that, trying to catch his big break. And he comes home to her every night. And usually she's sleeping on if you if you get pull up the words to the song, you'll realize why I do it. That's one of the many songs that stays on this thing when I'm in the middle of working and stuff like that. I have a whole playlist. And that's actually a really great transition into one of my final questions. And it's my favorite question. And that's what's your favorite theater memory? As much, I have a ton of amazing theater memories that I have. But pro- there are several that are my favorite, but definitely true story. During Hell Week, Tech Week in, in the Crucible, we get, it's now, has to be 9.30, 10 o'clock at night easy. We've been out now and doing this now since 10 o'clock in the morning. We're all college kids. We're exhausted. We're in the final, we're doing the final groups of scenes. Dan, David Manuele, who's playing the doctor. Dan Fort, Dan Fort is Frankie Provenzano is me, Ezekiel Cheever. In ADH, when they have us in theater B, you can triangle us. So Dennis triangles the three of us. David, Frankie, me. The three of us try to get our lines down, but we're so exhausted we screw up our lines. Then they bring Chris up. He's screwing up his line. Well, oh my God. Dennis gets finished with us. He makes us go change. He sits down. He makes us all sit down in the front row with our stuff. And he lights us up about not being fully memorized on Tech Week. And that's what he thought it was. We weren't memorized. And he, you better not come ask me any questions about director's notes because I'll tell you lines. Learn your lines. Oh my God, did we get into trouble. But next night in, all memorized without a mistake so i mean that's that's part of it with into the woods probably my favorite memory is chan harris letting me take the narrator and the mysterious man into in in that one it was interesting because chan and i never figured out an exit for when i sing no more with the baker my son and even in that i couldn't I, could, I couldn't keep a straight face. I got emotional because basically what he's telling his son is don't make the same mistakes I did. That's the gist of no more. And again, I had trouble keeping it together and not crying. And I did end up crying even then through the music, through the tears. I still managed the same. And so Chan and I never discussed my leaving. So I get to the stump where I sit and now I don't know how to leave. And I got stage fright. I just sat there like this, glued, because then Chan and I had never discussed my exit. So I was afraid to get up and move to take away from the fact that my son was singing. So the next, so Chan comes to me the next time and he goes, um, you didn't leave the stage. I said, we never discussed an exit. Which way do you want me to go? So he said to me, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I kind of sort of would like to get up and be like, yeah, you got this. Don't worry about it. Kind of thing. Because that's, that's what he eventually realized. So he, he laughed when he said that. And then, you know, part of the problem with Into the Woods is the, mis- 
the narrator has a book from which he reads. The mysterious man doesn't, so they tend to conflate the two and think you're not well-read, you're not memorized, you're not this, you're not that. When, in fact, 99 times out of 100, you probably are, but if that's the prop, which is the storybook, that's what I have to use. So those are those are probably some of the the better memories I have. I've had a good time in theater. And I can thank Jay Michaels for the good time. But Jay Michaels, I'll say this, also forces you professionally to take stock of yourself. That's why he's an amazing mentor. He is someone who can call you out and call you on the carpet. And you don't get angry or upset with him. You only get upset and angry with yourself. <laughs> because you realize everything he said was spot on. Yeah. Well, those are two great memories. Truly. Thank you for sharing those. My final question for you is, if our listeners want more information about Urkele and Megara, A Couple's Journey, or about you, perhaps they'd like to reach out to you. How can they do that? You can catch me on Facebook. I'm pretty easy to find in that way. You know, there ain't a lot of guys running around with mutton chops. We're, We're a breed of unto ourselves. And we harken back to a very different time in our American history. So if they want, they can catch me on Facebook. I'm all over the city, so that's not an issue. Facebook is probably Instagram, TikTok. They can find me on all of that. I'm currently doing videos promoting Urkele and Megara. Lester, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today, to share this incredible show with our listeners is share your story with our listeners this has been fantastic i really appreciate it so thank you oh hopefully i'll see you on the 11th i'm planning on it. it's on the calendar so that's good so you'll have some of my wife's cook cooking from rich from witches brews and biscuits i'm looking forward to that my guest today has been the playwright lester cook whose show, Urkele and Megara, A Couple's Journey, is having a reading at Playwrights Horizons downtown on May 11th at 6 p.m. You can get more information about Lester by following him on social media. We're going to have all of those links on our episode description as well as on our social media. But make sure May 11th, put it on your calendar, 6 p.m., Playwrights Horizons downtown, Get yourself there. There's a light supper served beforehand by Lester's wife. It's going to be delicious. And then there's going to be this great show that you need to take in. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. 
Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you. Bye.